This episode of Safe Space Radio is brought to you with support from the Equity Fund, Physicians for Social Responsibility, and listeners like you. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space Radio. Today's show is part of our ongoing series on LGBTQ teens in Maine. For the past five weeks, we've been hearing from teenagers themselves about the challenges they face in coming out, struggles with friends, family, and teachers who haven't always understood, and also their stories of courage in being themselves. Today, we're going to hear from two people who represent very important roles in teenagers' lives, a parent and a teacher. First, I'll be talking with Sue, who is the mom of a transgender son, and then later in the program, I'll be speaking with Abby, who is a teacher and the advisor to the Gay Straight Transgender Alliance in the high school where she teaches. Sue is from Central Maine, where she raised two sons in a pretty typical home with two working parents, a dog, and yes, for real, a white picket fence. Her kids grew up going to public school, participating in scouting and sports, and as a family, they love to go camping together. As Sue says, quote, it just happens to be that one of my sons was born as my daughter. Welcome to Safe Space Radio, Sue. Thanks for having me. I want to ask you, when you first began wondering if there was a chance that Aiden might be more of a boy than a girl? Um, Well, I'm not sure that I ever really wondered. Um, Kids are kids, and I always let them uh, develop the way that they did. Um, I was always a bit of a tomboy, and um, Aiden always presented that way, but it never occurred to me at the time that perhaps, in fact, he was a boy. He hadn't let any of that information out. Um, until he finally came out and said that he thought he'd always should have been a boy. And all of a sudden I went, oh. And then that thing started clicking at that point. So tell me a little bit about the circumstance in which he had the courage to really tell you that. Because that's, that's a very hard thing to say the first time. Yeah, it, I think it was. Um, we had been, it had happened in the spring after we had had several um, incidents occur, um, one of which was a suicide attempt that he had talked about um, when he was interviewed. And we were on our way to Boston. And um, I had asked him about how long he knew he'd been gay, which I said to him at the time was, I knew was kind of a funny question, but I was trying to engage in some conversation. I've got a teenager driving the car going down the highway. And he kind of came out and said, well, I've always known I was different. And actually, I always thought I should have been a boy. And it was like a light bulb went off in my head. And I knew that we were at a turning point at that moment. And it sounds like it sort of resonated, like it felt like something true. Like it, it made yeah, sense to you. Yeah, it did. It made a lot of sense to me. And it explained a lot of the things that we had been going through. What did it explain? Um, it really explained how um, how hurt he felt on the inside. And it really explained a lot of the depression that he had been going through and how um, withdrawn he was. He's always been very good at compartmentalizing. And he would um, express himself one way at school and a different way at home. And I think it's because he felt much safer at home. Like, how do you mean? What, what, how um, was he at school and how was well, he Well, at home? school, he sort of kept to himself. Um, I would get calls from his counselor expressing how concerned she was about his depression levels. And for a while, I kind of thought she was a little crazy. I think she thought I was a little crazy because at home, he seemed pretty happy. And things were pretty normal at home. You know, he was able to do what he wanted and, um, you know, interact with people the way he that he chose to do that. And I think at school, he felt different. And I don't think he knew how to present um, his freshman year. He um, was had been dating. He was a girl and had been dating this nice young man. And I went away on a business trip. And while I'm gone, he kind of calls me up and says he's broken up with this boy. And oh, by the way, I think I'm gay. And floored me on that 
thing. And of course, I'm you know out of state, away um, over a long weekend, and um, it was kind of those sorts of things that just kept occurring over and over between his freshman year and his junior year of high school. Okay, so I want to come back to this car ride. Wait, there you are. You're on the highway driving to Boston. And Aiden says to you for the first time, I kind of always thought I should have been a boy. What were you picturing in your mind about what this was going to mean? You know, at that moment, I really didn't know what it was going to mean. I knew very little at that point about um, being transgendered and uh, what even resources were out there, but I knew that we had to find them. And... um, you know, as a parent, all you want is your kid to be happy and loved and accepted. And the fact that your kid is categorized or labeled or put into a grouping um, that's different than their peers is really scary, especially in high school, because there's a lot of bullying that happens no matter how um, well the schools work to prevent that. It, it happens. Kids are kids, and those sort of things go on. So, you know, I knew that we needed to put some things into place to ensure that he was going to be okay um, at school and be okay with who he was. So one of your biggest fears was that he would get bullied more. Yeah. Were there other fears you had? You know, I, I guess I really, you know, I had no idea what to anticipate or to expect. Um you know, it all feels really scary, and I know as I've talked with other parents, there's more questions than there are answers at the, in the beginning. And, you know, I worried about, well, you know, what does this mean for his future? What is this going to be like for him growing up? You know, is he going to be, you know, be able to be normal? And is he going to be able to, you know, go to college and get a job and do all the things that we want to be able to do? And, and you know, will he be able to have relationships? And, and to get married and have a family. And, I mean, he's the most amazing kid with, uh, with little kids, and I know that that's what he wants. And so I wanted to ensure that we could do whatever was possible to help him achieve those things. Right. So you're thinking both immediate and long term. Yeah, that makes sense. So I hear you already, you know, you're also thinking like, okay, we need to bring in resources here. So what did you do? How did you educate yourself about what was out there and what Aiden might need? Well, um, you know, Google becomes one's best friend, um, and we spent a lot of time doing that. Um, I think I spent the summer reading every transgender book um, that I could possibly find. Um, And as I was reading them, I was passing them on to his therapist, who was spending as much time reading them as I was. Um, And, you know, we had some really good um, supports in place. And boy, I'll tell you, um, I think Aiden said to you when he was interviewed that, you know, he wanted everything now. And he wasn't kidding. Um, You know, we had to kind of slow him down. You know, he was like, I'm a boy and I want hormone shots and I want to have surgery and I want, I want. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm kind of freaking out in the background, trying to slow things down a little bit and figure out what does this all mean? You know, if if my kid starts taking hormones, what's that mean? What's that going to do to him? And we connected with the Trans Youth Equality Foundation in Portland, um, and they um, were amazing. They had us come down to meet with them, and they helped um, reassure us that, you know, things would be okay and that there were lots of um, other kids just like my kid out there. And, um, you know, I we started meeting people, and that helped. After that conversation in the car, when Aiden told you that he really had always wanted to be a boy, and then things were sort of set in motion for him to become a boy, was there an actual moment or an actual day from which 
he was a boy going forward? Was there a turning point moment? I know for us, one of the, I think, biggest turning points was the day, it was a Saturday, and we went into Aiden's bedroom, and we cleaned out his closet, and we cleaned out his bureau, and we removed all the girls' clothes. And we went out and bought new underwear and new shirts and new whatever it was that he felt like he needed to be able to be representative of who he was. And, you know, we removed Mary that day from the house. And um, I know that a lot of parents feel like they really mourn the loss of the child that they had. Um, Although I sometimes wonder, you know, would things have been different had he grown up as Mary? Um, I don't really feel like I lost a child. I really feel like I've gained an amazing son. And um, a few weeks later, um, we had come to a point where we had decided we were going to try calling him Aiden. He had texted me one night when he was babysitting and said, can I change my name? And I'm like, well, what do you want to change it to? And he was like, well, I want to change it to Aiden. And I'm like, okay, well, why? And, you know, we kind of had this text thing. And so we decided that weekend that we would start trying in a small group at home and whatnot. And from the minute we started calling him Aiden, um, and he wanted us to use male pronouns, and, you know, there was no turning back. It was like turning a switch on. And we um, started doing that. And I can remember that that night I changed on my cell phone, I changed his name from Mary to Aiden, because I wanted to be able to sort of like see it. I'm, I'm very visual. And it was kind of tricky at first, not because you didn't want to call use uh, the he and him, but just because, you know, for 15 or 16 years, it had been she and her. And he was very good um, about trying to remind us when we made a mistake and to do those types of things. And, you know, that was something that the therapist had worked with him and to say, well, you know, don't get mad at your parents or don't get mad at your teachers if they don't use the right pronouns. Just gently remind them and eventually they will um, remember, and, and he was. He was very good about that and, and still is. Once in a while, it'll still, um, something will come out and we will talk about it. And the other place that was really um, interesting with the, the pronoun shift was it depends on who, when you're talking about your child. Are you talking about them when they were five and it was her, or are you talking about them when they were 18 and it is him? And sometimes that gets crossed over and gets a little um, weird. And we still have family members who will call him Mary and, um, you know, that don't see him very often and are always quite surprised at how different he looks and how different he sounds because, of course, his voice is very deep Did you send out, like, a family letter to to let all the distant relatives know, or how did you... Um, We kind of... I contacted the really, you know, the key people that needed to know... um, and then honestly, the rest of it I managed through a Christmas card with a photograph of the two boys and signed it, Ben and Aiden, and just let people figure it out. <laughs> Did you get some calls? A few. A few. Like, who's Aiden? What happened to Mary? Well, Aiden is now Mary, or Mary's now Aiden, and yeah, it's been fine. People have been really, um, you know, it, it was amazing, the... the um, the overall support from the family, um, as well as friends, you know, were, you know, we always loved Mary. We're always going to love Aiden. Um, you know, we really didn't have a lot of negative. Um, there was a little, but, um, you know, I think you're going to get that at more people not understanding or worrying that it's a phase and, you know, you're really going to let your kid do this. And, you know, but I look back now and I think, you know, my the alternative could have been so much worse. Um, you know, when your child looks at you and says, I don't want to live who, as who I am anymore, um, I need to be who I am or I can't exist, um, you really have to get on board. And, um, you know, this isn't like, oh, I want an iPod. This is, I need to be who I am. 
I want to I want to revisit some of the major decisions that you had to make together, um, particularly some of the medical decisions, because I, it sounds like Aiden. You know, he told me this. He wanted testosterone. You know, yesterday, as soon as he found out that was even an option. Were you, was any part of you thinking, what if this isn't really, really the case and we've done something permanent? Did you have fears about that? Yeah, I, I did. I, I don't know that I ever thought it would be a phase, but I was really, really worried about the permanent aspect of things. And, you know, we talked about, um, you know, what could be reversed and what couldn't be reversed and the importance of these things. But the truth of the matter is he was so unhappy in the body that he was. He was so unhappy that he had gone through puberty as a girl. And he was, you know, developing his body in that way. And so by starting on the the T, it, you know, it, it immediately started changing his body shape and all of those things. I mean, he, you know, he's got belly hair and chest hair and... Um, you know, his shoulders broadened, and it, it really was very funny, um, some of the things that happened that were sort of a result of him starting on T. Some of them were physical body changes, but some of them were just attitude changes. Like, we went to Rhode Island, and had he got his first tee shot, and we stopped to have dinner on the way home, and I will never forget watching him walk from the booth to the bathroom. He walked different the day he got his tee shot. It was it was hysterical because I thought, wow, he's walking like a guy. And it had, you know, it had nothing to do with anything other than his attitude. Um, you know, he walked taller and he walked with his shoulders out more. And, um, you know, he was like very proud of who he was. And it, so it was kind of an amazing moment. And we had a similar moment. Um, he had uh, decided that he wanted to get these bar stools. And so he ordered them. We ordered them online. And the, the box arrived one day. You know, the UPS truck shows up and unloads this big box. And he's very excited. And so he pulls the box into the house and he tears it open. And the first thing he does is he goes, ah, oh, men don't read instructions. And he flicks it off to the side. And then he grabs this big plastic bag of all of the little parts, the screws and nuts and bolts. And he just grabs it and he rips it wide open. And these little pieces just fly all over my kitchen. And he's sitting there in his, you know, boxers and a T-shirt in the middle of the floor of all these parts, assembling these two bar stools and probably spent an hour doing it. But when he was done, he was done and he was very proud of himself. But I just stood there and kind of laughed and shook my head because I thought, wow, now, see, I would have pulled out those instructions and I would have very carefully read them all. I would have lined up all my little parts and organized it. But no, nope, men don't read instructions. And so he didn't read instructions <laughs> and he managed to accomplish his goal. It's sort of, I pictured almost like this incredible Hulk moment with like, like, you know, yeah, that's like exactly what it was. Bag. Yeah. And so we have had, um, you know, many moments like that, um, you know, and not not everything in this this um, journey has been, you know, funny and happy. There have been scary moments and there have been sad moments. And um, but overall, the you know, the the journey he has taken and um, has allowed me to walk with him has been amazing. And, you know, I really um hope that you know other parents out there can embrace it and you know do what they can to help support their kids um you know the bottom line is kids need their parents to be there um for whatever it is that they need them for and you know it's still your kid put your arms around them hug them um they want you there it sounds like celebrate their new identity yeah it is celebrate their new identity because it really is their identity
That was Sue from Central Maine, a mother of a transgender son. We're now going to be speaking with Abby, who is a teacher in the public school system and also the advisor to the GSTA at her high school. Welcome to Safe Space Radio, Abby. Thank you. Pleased to be here. I want to start by asking you, what does a GSTA do? What is a GSTA and what role <laughs> well, does it play in a school? Well, it's, it's interesting. I've been in two schools and they were, the GSTAs were very different. Um, in Down East Maine, it was a very a small GSTA, but very active. They had a president who was very active and um, outspoken, had a set agenda, and would accomplish things. And I came in as a co-advisor and just more or less observed. The, the president took care of everything. Um, when I moved to um, southern Maine and became involved at the, with the GSTA at my school, it was very different. I figured out that my role was not to set agendas like I was trying to do. Um, really what the students want and need is a safe place to come hang out after school and just be themselves. I provide muffins and then they just take it from there. I see. And so they, what kind of, without betraying anyone's confidentiality, of course, what are the kinds of themes that you hear about from them? Oh, it, it's, it varies. Um, sometimes it's very serious. Other times it's not. We, I've learned a lot, actually, from my GSTA. Um, one of the topics that has come up a lot is gender pronouns, um, because I, there was a student who is trans in the group, and even now I'm going to struggle because I refer to her as a she, but she does not want to refer to as she. And so for me, that's a challenge. So the kids have educated me, and it's they're quite patient with me when I mess up. Um, but they respect that I'm listening to them and making an effort. But as a 56-year-old woman, um, I grew up with two genders, <laughs> and we always classified folks. And so the kids are always talking about why do we even have to have genders. And it's, it's been really, it's been fascinating for me. And um, I, as I said, I've learned a lot. So part of what I'm appreciating is that in order to be a supportive adult to, to a teenager, you don't have to have this all figured out. Correct. It's a good thing, too, because yes, I don't. Because <laughs> I can imagine there might be some teachers who think, oh, I don't know enough. I couldn't really be. What if I made a mistake? And, you know, our sort of intention to almost perfectionism might get in the way of actually taking a step towards supporting someone. Uh, well, actually, in fact, um, I had a situation, something that I'm not very proud of, but I just had no idea. I was clueless. Um, we hosted at my school the first GLSEN meeting of the year. And GLSEN being the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network. Yes. Um, and so I talked to my GSTA about about coming and how important it was for them to be there because we were going to be welcoming other schools. What I didn't realize was that these meetings are... Um, our secret meetings, and I was preparing, um, preparing materials, gathering. Um, I think the the president asked me to get something, so I was looking for, I think, a microphone or something. And a parent was outside in the hallway, and was looking for a child. So they wanted to come in. I let them in the door. Um, there was a member of our GSTA who is very active. She is no longer a member. Um, this person was not her parent, but a family friend who reported to her family that she was in attendance at that meeting. Um, 
that oh. I mean I learned the hard way and so um yeah that was hard and that after that hard. the students stopped coming that she's she's not allowed to come her parents forbade her, parents, her to come yes were you able to have a follow-up conversation with her? I, I have. I have talked to her. Um, I. She. She doesn't blame me, and in fact, she doesn't even think that that's that's why. But I suspect that it is. I mean, she was upset. I knew she was upset when that man came into the room, and then you know, I we quickly escorted him out, but um, it was too late. So, so that's really an eye opener about how vulnerable these kids yes, are. Yeah. You know, I I can imagine not having ever sat in an, in a GSTA that people might be talking about feelings of isolation or bullying or vulnerability. Does that come up? Bullying comes up, um, and slurs come up. Um, Hate speech. Yes. Yep. Um, that comes up quite often, and if students hear it, or for example, we have a, a student that was coming, she was great, um, two or three times she came, and she came out to the group, and she came out to her friends, and her to, um, to her family, and then there was an instance um, where she, w in the locker room, the girls' locker room, where a student said, oh, we have a lesbian in the group, we need, you know, we need to get changed in the stalls, and she was devastated, um, and I know this through her drama teacher who approached me and, and let me know that it was what was going on with her. And, you know, when she was in the group, she was so strong, and I realize when she's in that room with people that she feels comfortable and safe with, she can be who she is, she felt so strong, and then to be out there in the world and have it just, the rug pulled out from underneath her just was heartbreaking. As you know, the, this group of kids, the LGBTQ teenage group, is at very high risk of addiction, suicide. It's such a hard road. Mm -hmm. And if you have someone that you are worried about, someone who maybe seems quite vulnerable and then stops coming, are there instances where you have felt like part of your role was to actually uh, get more involved to protect somebody? Um, at this point, no. I, I really I haven't felt that. Um, the when the kids come to the meetings, they're pretty much upbeat, and they're actually quite, um, I feel like they're getting ready to really find their voice because they're talking about the injustices that they see and how can we communicate to the, to the other students. And so I feel like with these kinds of conversations, we're slowly starting to maybe set an agenda um, where we can accomplish something a little bit more than just conversation. In the first school that I was in, in down East Maine, um, the GSTA was very, very organized. Um, they had an agenda, so there were bullying panels. There were, um, there, I remember one week we counted how many slurs we heard, hate language. Um, they kept, students kept track of the GSTA, and then when we met again, we counted up the numbers, and it was really appalling. Did they, really? Like, what kind of numbers are we talking? I, I, they were, like, I want to say in a couple of days, there were, like, 100, over 100. That, over 100 uh, in a couple of days? In a couple of days, because... Hate kids, speech that's specifically homophobic. Like, oh, that's so gay. Just any time they heard something that... Yeah. ...that they, they would be offended, you know, that they could be offensive language. So the language issue is huge. Yes. Yes. And so what did the school do about that information? 
um well not really anything <laughs> i mean we we did i'm trying to think the order that things went in but um this is student i'll call her student m who was the president she organized a panel where we had guest speakers come in then the kids met they, we broke the school up into groups we went into the gym and there was a panel and students were able to ask questions of um gay lesbian guests of adults of adults uh-huh. Did, and did students come in to ask the Stu- questions? Students did come in and ask the questions. How wonderful. So so that was good. As you may know, there was a study just published in Canada of almost 22,000 high school students showing that in schools that had either a GSTA or those schools that had an explicit anti-homophobic policy showed decreased rates of suicide attempts, decreased rates of suicidal thinking, and also decreased bullying, not only for LGBTQ teens, but also for straight boys. Well, I would say that in our school in southern Maine, and actually the one in down east Maine as well, having a GSTA certainly opens up a dialogue. And once students know that the GSTA exists, I think it gives us the power to say, hey, it's not okay to talk like that. It's not okay. You know, you need to respect everyone for whoever they are. Um, so I think that that's one of the major benefits, I think, of a, a GSTA, because it open, it does, it opens a dialogue that maybe would just be pushed you know, under the rug if it didn't exist. I also kind of hear from you that for the kids, it's like a base of support and empowerment, that from mm-hmm. that base, they can go on to take other risks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And knowing that this group of kids can be at such high risk, if you had one request that you wanted to make of, of high school teachers, one, one way that you thought they could make a difference, what would that be? I think one, the number one thing that a teacher could do is when they hear um, hate speech, um, to speak up. If they see bullying, to speak up. Um, I think for me, this happened to me in um, down east Maine, I think I was showing a PowerPoint, and I had Ellen DeGeneres on it, and somebody said, oh, she's a lesbian, and somebody came out um, making, a, making a couple of comments. I can't remember exactly what they were, but they, were, they weren't appropriate. And I challenged the students to think about the words that they were using and why did they feel the need to use those words. I mean, we don't talk about people's sexuality if they're heterosexual, so why did they feel the need to shout out the fact that this person was a lesbian? Um, and later, I found out this student M, who was in my class, very quiet, <laughs> um, very introverted student, um, gave me an award. I didn't realize she was part of the GSTA. I was not at that point, but um, I got an award for being the cool teacher of the month. Now, cool is not a word that is associated with me very often, I have to tell you. So, um, and it was because she thanked me for standing up. And she said so many times teachers don't because they don't know how to address it and they don't know what to say. She said even just saying anything that you don't agree sends a really strong message. So that was very powerful for me. It's a great story. Um, and I can imagine that getting an award, if anything, it was kind of, yeah. <laughs> clarifies for you, like, the, really, that that is who you want to be. Well, it wasn't so much that, that I got an award, but it was that I was called cool. For me, that was that was big. But it was more that um, she went back to the the GSTA and the civil rights team and say and said, hey, this teacher 
stood up, stood up for um, for this population, the LGBT population, and you know we should do that more. Abby, thank you so much for being my guest on Safe Space Radio. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I've been speaking to Abby, who's a teacher in Southern Maine, and Sue, a mom of a transgender son, about their work to support LGBTQ teens. If you would like to learn more, the organization that was so helpful to Sue and her family is the Trans Youth Equality Foundation, and they are here in Maine. If you are a teacher and wondering what you can do to help, start by going to the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network website, and that's glsen.org. And there, click on Learn. In the research section, you'll find the National School Climate Survey and a snapshot of information about Maine. What we do know that can save lives in school are the following four things. Having a GSTA, having an open and supportive faculty, having an explicit anti-homophobic policy, and lastly, having an inclusive curriculum. Next week, I'll be speaking with the poet Richard Blanco. He is the poet who was invited by President Obama to write and read his poem for Obama's second inauguration. Richard will be reading some of his poems, telling stories about his own coming out, and responding to some of the stories from this series on LGBTQ youth. If you did not get a chance to listen to this whole show and would like to, or if you want to email the link to a friend who you know absolutely needs to hear it, please go to our website, safespaceradio.com. You can also sign up there to get a weekly email with a link to that week's show. You can download us from iTunes, and you can like us on Facebook. My thanks today to Gabe Graben for producing the show, Betsy Parsons of the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network, who has really been an enormous support to this series, Jim Russell, our consultant, and Maurice Lennon for the music. Coming up next is Speak Freely. <laughs>